Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Good to see you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. Thought I lost some of you guys. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, would you please turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. I'm excited to preach the very first sermon of the new year, of the new decade for that matter. 2020, can you guys imagine that? Can you guys believe that we're in the year 2020? Come on, where are the flying cars? Where are the, where are the robots that, that do all the work for me? Still waiting. I think, I'm afraid to ask because I think there are some parts of the world that such things actually exist. I was appalled as I was like um, shocked uh, to hear that there's actually a town up north, northern California. There's a town where uh, there, it's, the entire town is, uh, is uh, the, their, their uh, driverless cars. Have you guys heard this before? I think somewhere when, in, in the middle of Tech World somewhere, they're, they're like driverless cars. The entire town is like no one's driving, the, the computer's driving. I mean, I don't want to ask, I don't want to know too much, but... The year 2020, that's pretty crazy. 2020. It's going to be an exciting year. I'm excited to, to be with you guys. I'm excited to journey on together with, as, with you guys as one church. I'm excited to preach the very first sermon of 2020. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. All right. Ready? I trust that you guys are there. Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls and when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three stand, stands is not quickly torn apart. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, I thank you for gathering us in your house, God. God, we uh, sit under in, in your presence, God, as one church, God, wanting to hear from you, wanting to glean what lays at the center of your heart. God, we humble ourselves and to be led by you, to be guided by you in this new year, God. May this year, uh, year be the year where we experience and, and, and see just your favor and anointing on all, upon all of our lives, God. As we uh, read these verses, as we hearken our ears, God, give us understanding. God, give us the faith to cling on to all that you're ready to impart to us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the largest and one of the strongest horses in the world is a Belgian draft horse. I don't imagine not many of you guys are horse experts. Many of you guys love horses. But horses are in general are known to be very strong. They're of the pound for pound, one of the most strongest animals in the entire animal kingdom. And Belgian draft horse happens to be the strongest of all horses. Uh, weighing in on average about 2,000 pounds. So it's, these guys are pretty big. I just I, I made sure to put that picture that which is in scale... That's as, almost as big as a small house, which is in the background. So Belgian 
draft horse, on average, they weigh about 2,000 pounds. But these little guys, or these big guys, are pretty strong. Per horse, they're able to pull or exert enough strength to pull about 8,000 pounds. That's pretty incredible. How many of us can lift or pull four times as much as your weight? Okay, this is not the time to shame. So we won't, we won't disclose, okay, or our strength or li- lack of our strength. But these guys pull about 8,000 pounds per, which is incredible because an average horse would pull just about anywhere from 1,700 to 1,900 pounds per horse. So these guys are pretty incredible. But when you put two of these horses together, remember, one horse pulls about 8,000 pounds. But when you put two of these horses uh, uh, put together, how much weight do you think these guys can pull? How much force or energy can these two horses generate when working together? And people, I guess, animal lovers or... Or, or they love to test animals. They, they put them to work. When these two horses work together, they pull not 16,000 pounds, but they're able to pull anywhere from 22 to 24,000 pounds when working together. Pretty incredible. So it just shows the power of togetherness. When working together, you're able to do something beyond what you can do on your own. As if that was not impressive enough. As if that was not uh, enough. They put another test to theory. Not only do we put these two horses together, but what if we allow these two horses to grow up together? What if we allow them the time and space for them to get to know each other? And I don't know how animals do it, but I think it's pretty common for us to understand that they are able to form relationships of their own. Is it not true? Some of the dog owners, pet owners here, is that true? They're able to relate to one another among animals. Okay, I just believe it. Okay, I'm just, uh, I, just in theory. So when they put these guys, raise them in the same house, eating the same food, tr- being trained under the same training and the same environment, the research yielded that they're able to pull anywhere from 32,000 to 34,000 pounds. I mean, that's incredible. That's not twice as much. That's not as three times as much. They're able to work four times as much when working together and being trained under the same purpose. There's a term for that in our language to describe such scientific or such phenomenon. We call that synergy. Synergy, is, interestingly enough, is a compound word derived from the Greek language. Two words, soon plus ergon. Soon is a Greek word that represents uh, the meaning of with, and ergon is work. So you put these two words together, we form a compound word, soon plus ergon. This is where we get the word synergy, meaning when working together, when working together, wherever there is synergy, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Rather than if you were to calculate what individual component is able to generate, is able to produce when working together, when synchronized, when united under same purpose, passion, and desire, you're able to do far beyond 
what you would be able to when working alone. The same can be said of the humans or the people as well. Applying the same principle, when different entities cooperate advantageously for and with a common goal and same mindset, we're able to achieve so much more than we would on our own. And its beneficial effect would be not by addition, but by multiplication. Imagine athletes joining together to contend for a championship. Some of you old school guys don't like this whole concept of superstar teaming with superstars. We think that's not the way to do it. But you know what? Let's not be that old guy. Let's embrace the new. And why do these top athletes form super teams together? Because they understand. Why did LeBron come to L.A.? And why did LeBron demand and, and, and hedge their organization say, you know, you better get another superstar. And indeed, they got Anthony Davis. And together, LeBron felt, well, he obviously couldn't do it on his own, right? His history proved that. Anthony Davis tried on his own for seven years. He's like, I can't do this alone. So this past summer, they said, you know what? Why don't we join forces together? And together, they feel like they're invincible. Not only that, the Laker fans think they're invincible. They think Anthony Davis plus LeBron James, we will get a championship. So arrogant. So blinded by... I, won't, I, I stop right there. But I'm the same way. As a Clipper fan, um, we've never had championships. And this summer, I'm thinking, you know what? We're doomed. We're LA's sucky team forever. But when we heard the news of that there's my, there might be a superstar, honestly, as a big fan, I never believed it for a second. But when I heard that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were coming together, guess what? I began to imagine things totally unreasonable because I don't have the faith, but maybe together they're able to do something that normally would not make sense. You see, that's the power of synergy. And we shall see this April or this June, which team shall reign victorious. Any Clipper fans in the house? Where's Ch- oh yay! <laughs> I apologize. I don't know why I got so excited. Because it never happens. Where's Chandler? Where's Dino? Where's Chandler? Chandler, I love you. This is the year for the Clippers, okay? Anyways, we see this in the athletes as well. Politicians teaming a form one party, working together. What, what about musicians? What's the beauty of orchestra? Single instrument, beautiful. Clarinet, beautiful. Cello, violin, beautiful. But what happens when you put them together in an ensemble and they play their parts? They take turns giving, receiving, giving, receiving, pausing and going. And everyone working together harmoniously. We're gifted with incredible power of synergy. Today, as we read this text... In the book of Ecclesiastes, happened to be written by King Solomon. Here, King Solomon, you guys know that uh, the wisest guy in, in the all of human history, right? And when God said, hey, what do you want? I will grant your wish. I will answer your prayer. Uh, God was the original uh, genie in the lamp, right? So when God asked Solomon... He, I mean, of course, he's such a Solomon thing to do. He said, you know what? Grant me wisdom. 
right? The wisest guy, he has so much power, so much influence, being a, uh, being a, a heralded king in the nation of Israel, so much favor, he had incredible wealth. He saw the completion of the temple of God being finished, work done, started by King David. He had incredible things, and he, but he went through this stage where he questioned everything in life. He had that little emo stage where he said, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything in life is meaningless. In another translation renders it, vanity, vanity, vanity. If you don't believe me, reach out to one of Ecclesiastes. It literally starts that way. Vanity, vanity, nothing, nothing, nothingness, everything in life is, nothing is meaningless. That's King Solomon. So the most portion of this book, he goes off in saying, he questions the value of everything. In chapter 4, as we read chapter 4 in the ma- our main text, he begins to explore the nature of human relationships. So he's making observations. He's seeing how some people, they just work by themselves. All the plot of la- plots of land that they have, they're toiling away, they're working alone. And he feels genuinely saddened by what he's seeing. And he goes on to lay down his observation. And then he bursts into our main passage saying, you know what? Two are better than one. And if you read the expanded, uh, uh, the portion of uh, chapter 4, he says, it's better to have a partner than to go at it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other one should help. But if there's no one to help, he says, that's, that's tough. Well, sucks to be you. And he says, if two lay down together, they will keep warm. Alone, you shiver all night. What a sad feeling, right? I mean, not only just a physical, I mean, I'm, I mean but just emotionally, think about it. He, he makes these observations. And he also says, by yourself, you're unprotected. But with a friend, you can face the worst. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Amen. This is him, King Solomon, a powerful man, making natural observation of what's going on around him. And he exclaims, saying, you know what? One, we cannot do this alone. One is not enough. We need two to stand together, because when two are together, you're able to face opposition. You're much stronger than if you were to be left alone. And there are plenty of examples all throughout the Bible of the power of two or the power of synergy. If you explore through the lives of powerful men, God's anointed, God's chosen servants, and incredible leaders, oftentimes they were were never left to lead on their own. You guys remember King David? We We have someone named, we have one David here. Incredibly favored by God. Gifted leader. I mean, he's probably the greatest asset that he had was his devotion and faith and passion for God. Which the Bible describes a man after God's own heart. David, that better be on your tombstone when you pass one day, man. I mean, King David was incredibly favored. God loved it. You know what? Let's be fair. God loves everyone, right? But I feel like God likes Some people just a little more than others. And God really loved and liked King David because he was so devoted. 
Did you know that King David did not lead his life on his own? Did you know that King, had a, King David had a best friend who, who considered himself, who considered David more important than himself? His name's Jonathan. King David had Jonathan. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, he describes their friendship in this way. As soon as, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone describing that as soon as he spoke, he felt that his soul was knitted into the soul of another person? Can you imagine having a friend like that? It's, we don't really call best friends soulmates. <laughs> but, I mean, but think about it. Think about the nature of your relationship with your best friend. There's something indescribable about that. Where you literally feel like not two different individuals, but you feel like your, your heart is conjoined together with that of the other person. King David had Jonathan. Amazing. What about Moses? Another gifted leader for the nation of Israel. Uh, uh, insecure man, uh, a former criminal, a runaway. He fled for 40 years in his life. He was a former prince. And God calls him, you know what? I'm going to use you to end the slavery of Israel for more than four centuries. And he's insecure. He's fearful. He's guilty about his past. He kept going back and forth, back and forth. He said, God, I can't speak. You know what? I'll take care of that problem. And he gifts Moses with his brother Aaron. And Aaron becomes the spokesperson of Israel. Not Moses. God installed Aaron as the leader. Remember what happened when Joshua fought the battle on the field? What was Moses' job? He recognized that his job was to intercede and stand on top of the hill, lift his hands up in prayer. And he saw that he over, I mean, how many, what's the longest you've put your arms up like this? Come on. Most of you Koreans, you guys know this. We've been trained early on as we were young. About 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, you get pretty tired. So you, you, put, you begin to put your hands down, right? And Moses, like, Whenever he put his hands down, he, he saw that there was a correlation that the nation of Israel began to lose the battle. So he went back and forth. Then he would put his arms up, and they began to win. And he got tired, so he put his hands down. And then, I mean, can you imagine the conflict that, was, that Moses was experiencing? He probably tried all that he could to lift his hands up, but he got really tired. Then what happened? Aaron came to his side. Aaron said, you know what, Moses, if you can't lift your arms up on your own power, guess what? I will come alongside you. He said, Moses had Aaron. Elijah and Elisha. I don't, I, I don't want to go through too much details here. Elijah, incredibly gifted, anointed. He's a powerful, powerful man of God. Him single-handedly represented God and Israel. And fought against other prophets of, uh, uh, of this idol uh, Baal. Remember that? The showdown, he commanded fire from heaven. That was such a gangster move right there. That was Elijah. Powerful. And he commanded a drought. I mean, through prayer, he brought three years of drought to the nation of Israel. 
But God saw that. That's not enough. You think you can do everything on your own? So he brought Elisha to Elijah's side. To that, Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Elisha said that. Imagine having people in your life who says, you know what? As long as you live, and as long as I live, I will never ever leave you. Imagine having a friend like that. Imagine having a spouse like that in this crazy world. Imagine having multiple people like that in your life that no matter what happens in life, I will never ever leave you. Elijah had Elisha. Just to be fair, let's talk about the women as well. You guys know Naomi? Okay. He was this poor widow, lost her husband, had two sons. He lost, she lost both of his sons. So now she was stuck with uh, two daughters-in-law. And so out of the graciousness of her heart, said, you know what? I've suffered enough living my life as a widow. I see that you're now become widow. Just go. Just go. Live your life. Go back to Moab. Live your life. You're still young. Go start another family. I don't know what she said, but say, go, release them. But Ruth, in response, while Orpah did exactly as Naomi told her, she just left. But you know what Ruth said? Mother-in-law? I don't know. I don't know how, if that's how they addressed, or Omni, or, you know, Shemini, like, I don't know what they say. Mom, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to desert you. In fact, where you go, I will also go. Your people will be my people. Your calling shall also be my calling as well. She essentially declared that you and I are now together. Joined together for one life. Imagine the power and the encouragement that Naomi received in Ruth's response. You know, these are just a few examples of the power of two. You see, they achieved so much more together than they would have ever on their own. I pause at this time to ask you the same question. What about you? Do you have such person in your life? Do you have such people in your life? Do you have your right or die? Do you have people in your life who pledges no matter what happens? I'm never going to leave you, desert you. You and I are one. Certainly in this room, if you're a married person, I hope that you're able to live with the security and the confidence that your spouse has made that vow on the wedding. What do you call that? Altar. Amen? Amen? That's one of the greatest blessings of being married, is it not? That we are conjoined together. We have been invited to this synergy effect. Working together. And then comes this little mystery, uh, a mysterious, a mysterious statement here. The later portion of that passage. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Not quickly 
broken. It's worth noting that the original Hebrew does not explicitly say the word strands. That's just implied meaning here. Whether it's implied just given the context, but it's just as simply uh, a cord of three is not quickly torn apart. Here we see not the joining of two strands here. We see not just putting together of the two, but he's talking about three strands coming together. Now the writer, King Solomon, is talking about these three strands together being intertwined, being meshed together, forming into a stronger cord. The third strand fixes the other two in place and adds its strength to them. That three intertwined strands are bound firmly leaving it virtually unbreakable. What is the third strand here? Most people would agree that here, the third strand is implied as God or Christ Himself here. Where, God, where, where, where Solomon sees, uh, we can infer the meaning where the third being added, when God comes to together, it's not just a, a, a David and I working together, it's not just Esther and I pushing together, whirling together, and working hard together, but when there's a third person added into the mix, when there's a third person, when, and, and that person happens to be God in our midst, into the fold, that man, and three of us are intertwined together, forged into one will, one desire, one purpose, then no matter what happens, that cord of three strands will never ever be broken. When we talk about the power of synergy, when we talk about the value and necessity of working together, we must remember that call is not just for us as human beings to work together and then for us to just be united together. But unless the Christ Himself is present and intertwined and, and, and mingled together into the every fabric of our lives, that we would also we would never experience the full power of what we have been called for. So today, I encourage you, I pray that you would have the faith to invite God into the fold, into the tough life that God has commissioned you to live. You have so many responsibilities. You have difficult tasks to perform in your life. But I pray that you would experience the amazing power if you were to indeed invite God into the fold. And it's not just you working hard. But when you allow God to work hard on your behalf, and He will, and He does, man, you begin to see amazing things happening. God says, I am with you. I'm going to come between you two. I will contend on your behalf. I am on your side. You see, there's so many places where we need the power of this synergy. More of this working together with others and with God. Remember the second strand and remember the third strand, which we can infer that it is God in our midst. You see, the problem is, too often, and this is myself being included, we resort to the convenience of working alone. Figuring out, struggling alone. And you know what? It's not crazy to think it's just more convenient to do everything alone. It's not that we don't believe in the power of working together. We simply choose not to because, you know what? It's, it's sometimes just easier, more convenient to do everything 
by ourselves. Some of us, we're not very good at asking for help, are we? Sometimes we blame it on the personality. Sometimes we say, we're just too shy. And you may think that it's okay. You may think that you're able for that moment. But know that you have been created for work together. Do you see yourself as a standalone guy, a standalone woman? Or do you see yourselves, do you picture yourself more often? as part of a team. Let me just go over two different areas in our lives. First is family. Okay, some of you guys are married here. What would happen if husbands and wives saw each other, not as opponents, but as teammates? Instead of contesting each other, okay, I'm going to confess, I do this plenty of times with my wife. Instead of contesting each other, constantly disagreeing, bickering and quarreling, and try to judge who's right and who's wrong, or who's more right and who's less right, we waste all of this energy on each other. What if we paused? What if we affirmed each other what they were, that they were unbreakable, that we we're united, that we we're actually on the same team? What if that happened? What if that took place? Under God's guidance, and no matter what happened, they would be considered as one. They would invite God into their fold, into their midst every time they did anything. Remembering that the cord of three strands is unbreakable. Can you imagine the effect of synergy? Some of you parents here, can you imagine the power of parenting our kids when we're always united together? Diapers, boom. Done. Doing the dishes. Done. Taking out the trash, cleaning. We're always united. We're never bickering, fighting. We understand that we're part of the same team. Boom. Done. Honestly, do you know when we get tired? Most of us are responsible adults here. So we know, we know better not to complain about the work that we have to do. You know when the work that we have to do gets really pressing and, and, and really unbearable to us? It's not the amount of the work. The moment when we sense the work that needs to be done is being done just by ourselves. That's when we get tired. That's when we get unhappy. That's when we question everything. That's when we say, you know what, I'm done. It has nothing to do with our ability to complete a task. It's when we feel like that I'm the only one doing the work. And this is true in my life as well. You, do you know when I get frustrated at my kids? By the way, that happens all the time. Pa pastors are humans too. You can someone say, oh, you guys are perfect parents. You know, they get so shocked. You guys yell at your kids? Oh, when do we not yell at our kids? When, when do we not discipline our kids? Do you know when we feel get when we do you know when we lose it? It's when we feel like kids are ignorant of the work that we are putting in for them. Come on, somebody. Do you know when we lose it with each other? When Esther sees like, honey, I'm doing all the work. What have you done? 
And here I'm on the other side. Are you, are you serious? You're questioning me? Do you not see the work that I've been doing? Do you not see the responsibilities? Do you not see how often I have to go attend to the kids? Do you not see the trash that I take out? I'm going to stop right there. Because I'm a smart man. See, it's not that either of us are not working. It's when we are not working together. See, husbands and wives of Rooftop Church, be one. Recognize that you're on the same side. Unless you learn to become one. Unless you work together. Unless you prioritize that relationship. No amount of good parenting will yield healthy results in the end. Let me give you, let me give you, let me say something here. This is just a bonus, okay? It's not, not in my notes. If, you're, if your number one priority, if your number one responsibility is your kid or your kids, and you put all of your energy work together towards raising and, and making sure that your kids are, are raised properly, what happens when that kid leaves the home one day? And that will happen. Oh, believe me, that will happen. I'm counting my days. I didn't say out of joy, but, but maybe. What happens if all of the focus has been for the kids and you neglect that? You work alone individually towards the kid. You know what happens when the kid leaves? There is nothing left because you've neglected each other. Some of you without kids, I encourage you, cherish this time. Invest in each other. Love on each other. Communicate with each other. Serve one another. And discipline yourself to love at all costs. So when the kid does come, it'll happen naturally. Financial responsibility. Parental responsibility. Children responsibility. Spousal responsibility. Logistical. Cleaning. Cooking. Work together. Come together. Second, let me talk about church. Imagine a church where everyone works together. Everyone is bought into this notion of synergy, hopeful and eager to see the results beyond what we're able to when we are alone. What if the whole church Felt like we were all moving together, completely synchronized. What if no one felt like they were alone? Or they, no, what if no one felt like they were working alone for the church? What if we prioritize being together at all costs? Let me give this example. How will our Sunday services change when we understand, when we experience that everyone is present on Sundays? How will our worship change? Even more practical. What would happen if everyone came to church to uh, church on Sunday? That's a novel concept. That's a crazy idea. Not enough people do it these days. So I have to bring it up. What if from the moment we start singing this first song, instead of people trickling in during the duration of the praise, what if everyone, what if this... What if all the seats were filled? What if the praise team 
prays, or even before praying the first prayer, what if Jonathan, before even praying the first prayer, he saw the seats being filled? Do you think that would affect, have an effect on the praise team? Oh, you better believe it. You know, I'm not a performer. I'm not a musician. But I just heard, there's this, uh, there's this phrase called, musicians or artists or performers, they, say, they feed off of the energy of the crowd. Can you imagine that? What if all of the rooftop church members united in one accord, worshiping God in passion, and all of our energy, we're going back and forth, back and forth. Imagine that. How will our Sunday services change? Would that somehow change the experience that we have here at church? How different will serving and church ministry teams be? If all of us came together. You know, really, church really is designed wholly dependent on this principle of working together. Team ministry. Team um, acronym. This might be useful for some of us. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Church really is founded upon the principle of synergy team together everyone is able to accomplish more did you guys know this is not just me saying it as a pastor this is actually done a uh, study done did you know that 20 percent of the people in church does the 80 percent of the work of the church i'm not just saying it's just that's just true this is also true uh, roughly at rooftop church but this is i'm talking about churches all across the world 20% of the church does 80% work of the church. What if that number was not 20%? What if it became 30% of the people? What if 40%, what if 50% of the people did it just a little bit more? How, can you imagine the work? Can you imagine what we would accomplish together as one body? Then it gets exciting. As we faithfully come together, as we find our rhythm being in sync, as we see ourselves as being a part of the same team, I pray, my prayer for Rooftop Church in the year 2020 is that we would experience the beauty and the power of synergy. What did Jesus say? When two or more are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Jesus. <laughs> it's crazy. We have to understand and glean from the truth of the Bible. It's not just one person. When you try your hardest, when you give your absolute best, but Jesus goes out of the way saying, when two or three, when two or more are gathered in my name, he says, I guarantee, I put it down, I promise you that in your midst, I will be there. That's a promise from the Lord. In this year, 2020, may we as a church experience the power of God because we refuse to move by ourselves. We refuse to do life on our own.
but we commit to one another. You say, you know what? Two are better than one. You know what? Three are even better than two. And we believe that when we journey together, God will allow us to experience something, do something that we have never, ever imagined doing before. You know, Pastor Tavis, during the announcements, talked about fast and pray. And some of you guys are new to this church, so I have to explain why we do this. Years ago, um, over, over probably the entirety of my Christian life, I have been introduced to this discipline of fasting early on as a teenager. And over the years, I've experienced the anointing and the power and the, even the breakthrough in my personal life, as well as uh, in the areas of ministry. So three years ago, we, 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 we sat, I introduced, and I invited the church. And, and by the grace of God, the church, most of the church responded in faith. And you know what? I've never done this. I, I, I don't like fasting. Uh, only fasting I do is I fast between meals. You know, uh, but, but you know what? Let me participate. What people have participated in faith. And we begin to hear testimonies. We begin to see, well, you know what? That really did something for my spiritual life. That, that I was able to break through the dry season or the wilderness season in my life. You know what? There was something that I had been praying for. But you know what? Through this fast and pray season, when we did that, man, God really did something special in our lives. So we began to do this. And we look forward to it for different reasons. Actually, we don't look forward to not eating. Let me tell you what. It's hard. It's, it's been almost uh, 25 years now since I've been fasting. Fasting is, you know, you guys know how much, how much, uh, how, mu- how much I love eating. But it's hard. But you know what gets me going? You know what gives me the courage? That I'm not the only one that has to do this. When I think about as difficult as this, this is, but when I think about, man, I'm so thankful that it's not just me. I'm so thankful that God has stirred the hearts of different congregants in our midst. So together we're able to face this challenge. Together we're able to gather and pray. Together we get to seek God. Together we're able to worship. So just a, that's just a side plug here. So from tomorrow night all the way to Saturday night every evening at church at 7.30 to 8.30 guess what we will have live worship available for you for you to pray about the uh, things that concern your life your faith we invite you come let's experience the favor and anointing of God as we together as a church contend together amen today We are going to learn to say, two is better than one. Nothing is impossible with three. We got each other and we got God on our side. And that means we get to confess also while we admit we can't do it alone and we won't do it alone. I don't care how smart you are, how strong you may be. If you choose to do life, if you choose to do faith life, by yourself, you will come to a screeching halt at one time or another. And we also commit that we won't let you do 
life by yourself.